Well, are you in for a treat? Pastor Dyer is back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I heard that that went over fairly well last week with uh, Marcus. So uh, I do need to correct a few things. You know, sometimes I want you to be aware and to know uh, that there are... Th- I do listen to sermons when people uh, preach in my absence. And there was a uh, misrepresentation of Marcus by his own words. I believe the phrase was, uh, camouflage is not in my palate. So if you would... I have video evidence... <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh, right there. Camouflage is in his palette with a nice shirt and some overalls. That is God-pleasing. I know there are times, right, right, where you go, man, my reputation is now shot. Thanks a lot. Right? Thank you, Pastor Dyer. Well, you know, that's the issue that we're going to look at. In this section, chapters 5 through 9 of Flesh uh, by Hugh Halter looks at this area of reputation. How are you known? What name do you go by? Uh, uh, What's your background? What's your pedigree? All of those kinds of things. And uh, how many of you uh, come from a background where either you were adopted or your family adopted kids into your family? We have any of those here today? Okay. Um, How many of you wish you had been adopted? Just go, you know... (laughs) During some time, right, right after Thanksgiving, you, you just proved it, right? Again, on your way home with your wife, you said, <laughs> I'm adopted. There's no way I belong to them, right? I was not born from their genes. There's no way. You know, and so adoption is a huge um, concept to understand. I, I'm thankful that in our congregation, we actually have quite a few families that have gone through uh, fostering or adoption as a... Um, as an act of service and worship and love to God. You know, we live in a society that throws things away a lot of times. If if you've ever visited a third world country, you know that, that babies a lot of times are discarded. I'm thankful that in the United States, in many states, countries, and cities, uh, to where I have lived, you, an individual, no matter their circumstance in life, upon giving birth, if they just absolutely cannot take care of this infant, uh, is allowed to drop that infant off to a, a fire station or a police station or a hospital without questions asked. Because we value the life of the baby. And we say, if the thing that is keeping you from allowing that baby to live is the fear of prosecution or the fear uh, that comes with acknowledging, hey, I I wasn't capable or not in a position to be able to take care of it, we'll remove all of that, but we value the life of the baby. And I love hearing those kinds of stories where people that were left as trash are brought in to a family where where kids without a name are given a name, where where someone that's unloved and untouched now has a place of warmth and care and concern for them, where they matter. And I want you to know that's exactly how God views you. 
A lot of times we spend with our reputation uh, in church going, well, I was a sinner this week. Yes, I don't know, Pastor Dodge, did you sin this week? Yes, I sinned this week. Which were those sins? Well, I lied once or twice. Okay, three or four times. And I gossiped a little. No, and what we have a tendency to do is to think of our reputation in terms of the things that we are not. How we don't measure up. And that's why the Christian church has this idea that how you are um, uh, come to faith or what's most important is about conversion. It's about being converted as if the thing that God created is so bad it needs to be retrofitted and made into this other thing. Well, Scripture does talk like that. We are converted from our old Adam into the new Adam. But in reality, the greater picture in Scripture is about you being adopted. That what he says is, is come as you are. Now, some of you have come to faith as an adult, and you go, <laughs> um, I hear you saying that, but I've met your people. <laughs> I've been to churches that judge, that look down their nose, that act hoity-toity, that, that perp themselves off in a certain way that says, excuse me, you're sitting in my chair. I don't really want to be a part of that group. They don't really adopt you. They don't take you as you are. If you don't look good and smell good, and, and I know, those door greeters, they're not really there to say hello. They're really looking out to see what you drove up in. Because you know what happens right around Christmas. You get that new car, and you're like, do we drive the new car to church? Oh, no, we don't want people to know we got a new car. They might think something. Somebody from the giving team might go, well, hey, Pony, if you bought a new car, you better pass the plate again. You know what that tells me? It tells me that we're more concerned with the outside and our appearances than we are on the inside. And when God adopts us, it is not about with the intent of making you some uber-Christian, some little God here on earth. That when God adopts you, He says, I want you the way you are. Now, I'm not going to leave you there, right? And, and sometimes that's, a, that's a, a bit of scariness to And I'm not going to leave you, but I do love you the way you are. This quote here in the book, whoops, 2 Samuel 7. <laughs> we'll get to the quote here in a second. I want to remind you that from Scripture we know that this adoption is from God. 2 Samuel 7 says, I will be his father and he will be my son. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He says, if they'll just follow me, if they'll just honor me and worship me, I will make them my sons and daughters. The language there is adoption language. He's saying before you didn't belong to me, and now you will. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.5, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. I want you to know that's who you are. You are a son or a daughter of the living King. And it isn't because of what you bring to the table, who you are, or what you've done in your past. And how many of you say, thanks be to God? Say, thanks be to God. <laughs> Absolutely. 
your son or daughter, adopted as is. He takes you in. Now this next quote, incarnational living isn't about trying to deny our humanness and appear godly. Isn't that interesting how Christians, I've talked to some friends who are not quite yet in faith yet, and I said, what's one of the stumbling blocks to you to, you know, come into faith, come to be a part of our community, and that godly, I just, I can't be godly. (laughs) Great, join the club! (laughs) Because I... I'm still not very God, but you're a pastor for crying out loud. Well, then if you're going to judge on whether or not you're going to become a Christian based on me, we're in trouble. (laughs) Oh, God's working on me. I'm, I'm not saying that. There are things that I no longer do that I used to do in my past. There are ways of speaking that I appear now to try to speak in a more God honoring and pleasing way, but I am not God. And that's not God's intent, to make me God. It is about humbly walking uh, among our friends and letting them see how God is changing our humanness. We're not out here trying to live and go, man, you are so godly. I can think of no worse compliment than for somebody to say, man, you are so religious. I don't want to be known as religious. I'd like to be known as having a heart after God's own heart. And he's the one that's transforming. He's the one that's making that happen. I can work all day long. I can try better, to be better, to do good. I can try as hard as I might. And it's not going to happen by my own doing. But what we're called to do in this incarnational living, right? Mark shared with you last week, God has said, I want to restore. I want the right relationship. Well, now our reputation is at stake because if we're sons or daughters of the living king, how are we supposed to act? Well, now we can start putting rule after rule after rule after rule. And we all know we're not going to measure up. So if my reputation is based on how godly I am, then we're all in trouble. It's about humbly walking among our friends and letting them see how God is changing our humanness. Let me ask you this. Because there's a key word in here I'm sure most of you read over if you're reading through this. It's about walking humbly with our friends. Not our enemies. Meaning, do you view the people around you as being worthy to be saved? As being worthy to give your time, your talent, your energy, and your efforts? As being somebody that God himself has created, formed, breathed life into? And again, if we take our life as the example, then God doesn't care what our background is. We shouldn't care what the people around us, their background is. Do we view them as friends? People worthy of spending time and energy and effort to proclaim, to love, to walk alongside, to cry, to bolster again, to encourage over and over and over. 
It's about humbly walking among our friends and letting them see how God is changing our humanness. One of our local teachers at uh, uh, one of our uh, schools, uh, uh, charter school, some students came up to him during a break time and said, is this school a Christian school? We're, we're talking over here amongst kids. And we're, is this a Christian school? And he said, well, you know, no, technically, no. This is, not, this is a charter school. This is not a Christian school. And one of the girls said, oh, but you are. We all know you're a believer in Jesus. And he was like, my pastor is going to love to hear this. And I said, absolutely, I love to hear it because he, he said, he goes, I, I just took such great pride in that moment of going, okay, I'm, I'm living it out because I've never said the phrase, but I'm living it in such a way that my students know it. That's reputation. Reputation of not perfection, but living it out. You're a son or daughter of the king. Next slide. Psalm 139, I want you to know this. I want you to believe this, and I want you to start living like this. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you, the psalmist writes, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The psalmist is talking about himself, saying, I am wonderfully made. God, you do good stuff. No longer should you ever be looking in the mirror going, I don't like that. I don't like to hear from that person. I don't like to see that person. And you're looking at yourself, stop, stop. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what your spouse says or your ex says. I don't care what your boss says or your neighbor says. It is not about how you look and how you act in those spheres, okay? You are wonderfully made. You are dearly bought with a prize. You are worth everything, including the death of his own son, to adopt you. And the world and the people around you cannot take that away. You have been declared wonderful. And so you are. Next. We're defining who we are. Romans 3 so you are a son or daughter of the living king. You are made incredibly well. Third, you are righteous. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You are saved not because of anything you have done. You are saved because he made you, he sent his son to die for you, and that rightness, that's what the word righteousness, that rightness before God is yours because God's given it to you through Jesus Christ. So you're his son, you're his daughter. You, you are fully, fully, wonderfully made well, and you are righteous. Which means your sins are forgiven. It means you don't have to live in the past with your shame, your fear, your doubts, you don't have to live in the present that way either. Don't let Satan keep reminding you of who you used to be. Next. You're called to be a disciple. And we throw that word around in church 
And maybe you come from a church background, you go, oh, the word disciple, oh, okay, I know what that, I know what the sermon is. Hold on, don't make any judgments yet. I want you to hear something. You see, in our reading this morning, some of you following along, we had John the Baptist. John the Baptist was called to do what? When people came around him and said, who are you, a prophet? You're baptizing people? What are you doing? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Who are you? And John the Baptist says, I'm the voice of the one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. And I want you to know that John the calling, John the calling, John the Baptist calling (laughs) is our calling. We are all called in the areas and the places that we find ourselves where God has placed us to be a proclaimer of the kingdom of the Lord is here. We're all proclaimers, and by definition, a proclaimer then is a disciple. And a disciple is one that is in the game. A disciple is being taught. You're an apprentice. It means you kind of get to dabble with it a little bit. You get into the field. You don't get to sit back and go, tell you what, I'll just be third, fourth string, right? I mean, how would that have worked for the guy from Baylor University yesterday, right? I don't know if you follow college football, but Texas versus Baylor, uh, Baylor's Fourth string quarterback had to play, okay, because of injuries. And then he goes down. I'm not kidding you. He goes down, and they're like, well, we got a freshman walk on. We might. This is the champion. I mean, you, you got to play this game, right? And they're like, no, we ain't giving it to the freshman. <laughs> so the running back just took direct snaps. I mean, you got to be ready. That's what I mean by you're the apprentice. You're always knowing. You're re- you got to be ready at a moment's notice. If the next one goes down, you got to step in. To be a disciple means that you are being trained up. And Jesus, right after this section, chapter 1 of John, he calls the disciples. What does he do? He says, leave your past job behind. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Simon, what does he do with him? He, he says, no longer will you be known as Simon, now you're going to be known as Peter. I mean, when God comes in and says, hey, you're on the team, you're my disciple, you're an apprentice, he changes stuff. Vocations, where you live, the people you come in contact, God changes everything in a disciple. I know there are testimonies in this room right now about marriages that are completely different than they were years ago. I I know the testimony of of couples saying, man, we, we were going down a path. It was not good. We were on the verge of divorce. And man, when Christ comes into our life, it's transformed. I know people that say, man, I I was down a dark road with with drugs, and man, now I have a light, and I have a life. I I know there are people that say, man, I I was headed towards the wrong thing in business, and I was working extra, extra hours, and more, and more, and more, and I was rising fast in the company, but you know what? My wife didn't know me, and my kids didn't know me, and all of a sudden, I was convicted and just going, man, is this really what's important? And so I spend money differently, and I spend my time differently, and God truly has changed and transformed. You understand what what I really think would be a great sign right out here on Baptist Road? Family of Christ. 
a church to come and die. Think about it. Family of Christ. A place to come and die. Well, we would just have people come and buy droves, wouldn't they? Yeah, I want to die. You understand? This is exactly what Jesus did with John the Baptist. This is what baptism is about. Baptism, you are drowned, you die. So that you can be raised to new, so that you can become a disciple. Disciples are in the game. You don't get to say, I don't want to be in the game. If you say, I don't want to be in the game, then you're not a believer. I'm sorry. Disciples are in the game. They're being resurrected. They're constantly being transformed. Not to be more like God, but to show what God is doing with my humanness. Over and over and over, we see in Scripture that God changes and transforms. But He takes us. He takes us where we're at. And so our reputation is, hey, I'm somebody that God works on. I'm a canvas that God's repainting. I'm a discarded Coke bottle, used up and spent, slobbered on and discarded, who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So my reputation is is that I'm a person that can start over. That's what God wants. But here's the problem in American Christianity. Next slide. We have this tendency to be really individualistic. American Christianity has as its own, hey, how's your personal quiet time going? Well, I'm not in a Bible study with a group. Well, it's okay. As long as you and Jesus have some time, it's all good. Now, that's, there's nothing wrong with an individual personal quiet time. I'm getting, but I'm saying that's like the epitome in Christian circles. Well, I have a quiet time that I, I pray with Jesus every day. That's not, that's not scripture, is that's the epitome? The epitome is the picture of being together, of being a part of the body of Christ. Secondly, it's very materialistic, right? Well, if I know where my money's going, then I'll make sure and put a little extra in the offering plate. If I approve of this expenditure, well then, or, or like I mentioned before, hey, let's make sure we got our Sunday best on, or let's take the good card at church so others will see that everything's going really well. You know what Jesus called people that cared what they looked like on the outside more than what was going on on the inside? He called them whitewashed tombs. And a brood of vipers. Because they look good on the outside, but they have dead men's bones on the inside. And thirdly, American Christianity is very consumeristic. Let me get the most out of church that I can with the least amount of involvement. Our church is so good, they get us right in at 9.35 and right out at 10.35, maybe sometimes 10.40. They are very efficient with their hour and five-minute services, and it is not too much of an imposition on my day. I want to get the most I can with the least amount of involvement. I show up. Pastor preaches a decent sermon. Worship music's pretty good. I feel pretty good for two or three days. That's all good. I don't need to do anything else. We'll just wait around for the next Sunday. 
But that's not what God's called us to. This next slide shows this, this, this idea that and rather than being individualistic, right, God wants us to be inclusive. He wants us to say, hey, brother, sister, you're a creation of God. Oh, you don't want me. I, I, I've hated God for years after my grandma died and, and, and he didn't save her. And so my family's never been in church. You wouldn't want my kind at church. Oh, no, no, we, we, we would. <laughs> Inclusive. I don't mean we don't have standards. I don't mean that we don't read from the Word of God and go, yeah, this is sin. Um, we don't make this up. We read it and we try to abide by it. But it doesn't mean we're unloving, uncaring, and unkind. It means that we reach out with the love of Jesus Christ in a, in a gospel way that says, hey, I want life for you because I've got life. And rather than materialistic, that they're mission-minded, I mean, can you imagine actually setting your schedule for January 1 in the year ahead and say, our time is going to be spent in church. We're going to, we're going to sacrifice our schedule to a life group. We're going to sacrifice to, to maybe a, a service opportunity to our neighbors or, or at work. Uh, I'm going to stay an extra hour um, because we've got a service opportunity there, and I'm, just, I'm going to give towards that. What if our finances started out and said, okay, 10% to God, absolutely. Not, not I'm trying to work up to it, but what if we just said, here's 10%, God. You said trust you, so we're going to trust you this year, and then set up the budget for the rest of the year on all the other expenses. And you probably have to cut out some things. I, I mean, imagine that, a, an American saying no to buying something. Becoming missionally oriented, that my time, my energy, and my finances go towards expanding the kingdom of God first and foremost. And then lastly, instead of this consumer mentality, this communion, this says we do it together. This, this idea that says I'm not going to try to get the most out of it with the least involvement. It says I'm going to give everything. I'm all in. So that I can do life with my neighbors my coworkers, the people that are around me. I, I'm going to give everything I have towards kids that need my love. And maybe that's your own kids. I mean, I get it. You, you need to be responsible for raising up your children. And that may be your number one mission field. Because some of you got more than two kids. Or one. You know, you play two-on-one or man-to-man. -man. Some of you have to play zone all the time. That's tough. But it's the idea of being inclusive, of leading the way, of showing people with our time, energy, our resources, everything that we have, that we have God first, so that our reputation is this. May they see your good works and give honor and glory to God in heaven. We do want a good reputation in our community. We want to be faithful with our resources and not be so focused on self, giving, being missionally minded, living life together. Yes, it's hard. Happened to text a, a member this week in the middle of the week. Oh, hey, uh, my, my plans got changed. Go figure with a kid. Fever. She's sick. I get home. Guess what? There's a package there with chicken soup. Do you think it was convenient? No. But that's what community does. Community steps in. 
and immediately takes care. Next slide. I want to challenge you to do this in your homes. A public home, not a private home. A public one. Not a place where you go to just simply retreat. And I know some of you are going, <gasps> I want to paint a picture for you, and then I'm going to explain these points. Because if, if, if I challenge you with this and you start to do it, some of you are going to go home, we have got to clean, because I am not having somebody in this house that is this dirty. We are going to have to clean. I want you to know something. If you'll put a little time and energy into cleaning right now without worrying about it, I want to give you a hope and a promise. You see, when Jesus comes to take us home, heaven's already clean. And on the last day when we're eating a meal with Him, ain't nobody cleaning. So you won't have to do it, but just for a few years. Or you could just kind of let it go and go, friends, we want you here when our house is clean and when it's dirty, because we're not trying to put on pretenses that we're perfect. We're simply human beings that God loves and He's transforming and changing daily. How do we do that? Hospitality. The word hospitality actually means, taking care, means to take care of a stranger. The word hospitality, actually, this picture is, is that when you first invite people in, they're going to be a stranger, but by the time they leave, that word heaven, you're going to you're going to be leaving as friends. And you honor them. Hugh writes in, in, in the, one of the chapters uh, that I'm basing the sermon off of is that he says, when they invite people over, he tries to tell them, you know, be here at you know, five, whatever. And he says, uh, I like to be standing at the door. And when they walk up to the door, open the door before they can knock or ring the bell. Because he's trying to show, I was waiting for you. Isn't it incredible when somebody opens the door for you and just says, man, I, I care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, here's a meal. Do you have any allergies that we need to be aware of? Yes, you're going to go. Yes, we're not going to cook my favorite meal because they're allergic to it. That's part of hospitality. And you're going to honor them. Open the door. Hey, hey, hey let me take your coat. Because, you know, when you walk into somebody's house this noon, you're like, do we, do we wear our coats? Do we hang our coats? Do we put them on the couch? Do they have a bedroom? You know, what's going on? And shoes. If you are the shoe people that say no shoes in our house, okay, just tell the people right up at the beginning, all right? That's, that's, part, of, that's part of honoring them. Say, hey, we're a, we're a no-shoe-wearing house, okay? So if you could just put yours there, just, and see, we don't have shoes on either, right? Okay, so that we're just all good. And now, happy hour. Now, I, I'm not, this is not a plug, all right, for the local liquor stores. Uh, I'm not getting anything for this one, okay? But what I'm trying to push you towards is understanding that as we open our homes, as we encourage people and make this a place that is hospitable and we honor them, that happy hour is about clinking glasses. Just metaphorically, work with me here. My kids love it when my wife and I have a special dinner. We've got a glass of wine and we try to do a toast. And they go, well, do we get to toast? And I'm like, you don't get any wine. They're like, we don't care what's in the glass. We just want to clink. And I thought, that's brilliant. So, uh, you know, whether, you know, alcohol is not a, a normal part of your, your, your meals or, or those, I'm not saying you have to have alcohol. I'm saying, is there a toast? Is there, is there something to celebrate? Is it, you have a little cute hors d'oeuvres. I mean, Pinterest has got pictures of them all over the place, all right? And all it really is is like some tuna fish on a cracker and you put a little slice of olive on it and people are like, wow. 
you're like, I know, I slaved. <laughs> tuna fish, <laughs> fresh made at King Supers, picked it up, dished it right out, okay? Because what you're doing is you're creating a place. In Scripture, we have very few descriptions of what heaven will be like. One of the ones that is repeated over and over is that we are around the banquet table. So what we are creating in these public homes is a picture, a foretaste of the feast that is to come. That's what we do when we celebrate Holy Communion. See, we, we take the veil off. We take our fine china. And we say to people, come and eat. Come and drink. The finest affair. Because this is where we're going. And right now, we want to give you a glimpse of that. We're not perfect. We're human, just like you. But we've been bought and adopted by Jesus. And we'd love to live life with you like he would live life with you. Amen.